The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Swani is the, I don't want to say the gift that keeps on giving for news at the moment because it's infuriating. It is exasperating, the situation that keeps happening there, where politics really is just the order of the day. Every day there is some kind of drama that happens in Swani. So if you missed it, what happened in the early hours of this morning was there was a vote for the Swani Council Speaker. Now, the multi-party coalition uh, had backed a particular candidate, the Action SA councillor, Colofelo Morodi. And what the DA did was the 69 DA councillors in the election of the 20 council uh, speaker were disqualified because on their ballots, they numbered their ballots. So from 1 to 69, the IEC considered this to be spoiled ballots. So the IEC said that those votes were declared spoiled ballots because they needed to be marked accordingly. Now the DA, because they've lost that situation, are considering their legal options. And this, of course, has got people saying, well, surely you know that you have to put an X. We all learned this in 1994, right? And the DA is saying that they disagree with that. So we're going to hear from Celia's Brunk, who is the multi-party coalition mayoral candidate. Before we get there, Mkadisi Nzwanana is the newly elected Tswane speaker. So he won that vote this morning, representative from the ATM. Mkadisi, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. What are your thoughts on, on the ballot and how it was conducted? Do you believe that you uh, were properly elected as the speaker in Tswane? Um, th- thank you very much for, for the time and thank you to the viewers as well. Um, yes, I believe that I was elected accordingly. The elections were free and fair. Um, on the decision that the the multi-party coalition took, I cannot comment on that because it was their decision to vote the way they voted. But for my knowledge is that they 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 know how to vote. We've been voting in South Africa since 1994. But that's all that I can say about the way they voted. So now the, the DA is considering its legal options. Uh, are you comfortable in the position of, of Speaker? Do you feel that you can now get busy with uh, setting up a council meeting for an election of the mayor? Or do you think you need to wait for this legal process to unfold? We, we haven't received any legal process, so we are ready to move on. Um, I'm not worried and I'm comfortable where the parties and the citizens of South of Botswana decided to put me in. And what will moving forward look like? So when can we expect a, a sitting in order to elect a mayor? Um, that will be communicated in a in a in a proper way and you'll be know you'll be let let known unknown about it um in due course, but it will be soon. I cannot say when, but once that is uh, communicated proper, we'll let you know. Mkadisi, thank you very much. Mkadisi Nzoanana, he's the newly elected Twane speaker from the ATM. Well, let's speak to Celia's Brink now, who is the multi-party coalition mayoral candidate. Celia's, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Did the DA err in instructing its members to number their votes in this vote in the early hours of this morning? 
Hi, Mandy. It's important to just take note of the chaos that happened in yesterday's council meeting. This was, in fact, the second round of voting. The first round of voting had to be cancelled after ANC and EFF councillors stormed the voting area and grabbed one of the ballot boxes. So there were various delaying tactics, open intimidation of councillors, violence. One of our councillors had his finger broken. Uh, and, and it's very unfortunate that that side of the story is not told. But let's get to the uh, voting and the, law, and the rule in South African law is that your intention must be made clear. It's all about the intention of the voter, whether you make a squiggly line, uh, an X, uh, or some other marking. Um, it is your intention that should be clearly uh, indicated. And if you look at the ballots, which um, we might perhaps have an opportunity to uh, put before a review court, the intention of the 69 councillors who had their ballots uh, set aside as spoilt was clearly to elect Kolofelo Murudi from Action SA as speaker, the candidate from the multi-party coalition. The IEC decided that because uh, numbers were used in 69 of those votes, that they simply be regarded as spoilt. Now, this is an extremely controversial decision because spoilt ballots are traditionally those where you cannot determine the intention of the voter. If it was the contention of the IEC that the numbers that were indicated on the ballot paper, clearly in the box marked next to Kolofelo Morudi, that that is the problem, then the remedy should have been to call a new election and to make those rules clear. But to simply mm. invalidate votes that were clearly brought out in favor of a particular candidate is a very controversial move, and we're afraid that given the environment, the climate of violence and intimidation that occurred at yesterday's council meeting, the officials of the IEC were simply too timid to, to render a decision that could upset the ANC right. or the EFF. So, Lies, the, the vote for a speaker needs to be a secret ballot. And the argument is that by the DA members numbering their ballots, it negates that, that secrecy. Um, their votes are no longer secret because they've numbered them. Would you agree with that? So, Mandy, I would contend that politicians voting for other politicians, such as for the mayor or the speaker, you cannot apply the rules of complete secrecy as you would in an ordinary election where a voter, a citizen, votes for a politician, because it's a completely different environment. You need a way of holding public representatives who've been elected on a promise to the voters to account for keeping that promise. It's not the same. You can't compare it to an ordinary uh, election. Uh, and so I would say there's a very strong case to be made that uh, those, those rules of secrecy do not mm. apply in all rigidity. But, but it is still the law. You're still required to have a secret ballot. Well, I think it's open for interpretation and it hasn't yet been tested uh, in our law at a level. Because think about a coalition agreement. So you vote for a particular party, a particular councillor, they made a promise to constitute a government. They sign a coalition agreement. So you cannot then enforce a coalition agreement because of the way that the existing provisions of law are interpreted. Uh, that has not yet been tested. Perhaps that should be tested 
And if indeed the law as it stands does not allow for coalition agreements to be implemented, to be enforced effectively, then we have to look at law reform. But to get to the basic point, Mandy, about yesterday's council meeting, if the IEC believed that the vote was not free and fair because of the indication that was used, simply invalidating those votes is the worst possible a remedy to deal with the situation. So, so, so Liz, uh, you say that this hasn't been tested legally. Are you now going to court? Are you going to be legally challenging uh, this decision by the IEC? So we've consulted our attorneys and we are considering various options. We do not want to act on our own without discussing the matter with our coalition partners. But it's certainly an option, even if we can pass a motion of no confidence in this speaker in a shorter period of time than it will take us to obtain legal relief, it is still a possibility of using this particular set of facts and obtaining clarity on whether what the IEC ruled in this instance is the way that the law must be interpreted in all instances. Silias Brink, the multi-party coalition mayoral candidate in Twane, explaining that situation there. I've seen lots of different views on this on social media. I'm sure you have a view too, but now you've you've heard it there uh, from Silias Brink explaining the position of the DA in terms of those 69 ballots being cast by the DA councillors uh, for the uh, the position of speaker. And, and, and look, you may feel differently about this. Uh, many arguments are that we all learned how to vote in 1994. You vote with an X. Uh, the DA saying that this cannot be a secret ballot when it's for the position of, of mayor or the midday report. Now, in terms of the DA and looking at going to court in Cape Town, the mayor of Cape Town, Jordan Hill Lewis, has said that the city is going to court uh, for a precautionary interdict to stop the EFF from proceeding with this national shutdown. The economic freedom fighters have said that they are going ahead with this uh, national shutdown. They're demanding that government resolve the energy crisis and that President Cyril Ramaphosa step down. But the Cape Town Metro says it wants to prevent any attempts to incite or participate in looting or vandalism. Kevin Brunt, EWN reporter, has been attending a briefing there. Kevin, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. What is the DA saying about going to court? Very good afternoon to you, Mandy. Well, DA leader John Steen has outlined why the party will be heading to court ahead of the planned national shutdown of next Monday, saying that they're approaching the North Gauteng High Court to ensure the economic freedom fighters comply with the conditions of the permits that will be issued for this march on Monday within the different municipalities to ensure that the march takes place in a safe and in an environment that is free um, and fair for everyone, saying that people are, if they don't want to participate in this shutdown, they by law are allowed not to participate in there. So just listen to what John Steenhuisen told us earlier, Mandy. We've called on Minister Trele to issue a strong statement against the national shutdown and assure South Africans that the SAPS and the entire security cluster is on standby to respond to violence. Our Shadow Minister of Defence, Kobus Murray, has additionally written to the Minister of Defence requesting them to be on standby. We've also written to President Ramaphosa asking him to issue a stern preemptive warning as the Commander-in-Chief that no violence, vandalism, or intimidation will be tolerated, and that any such behavior against law-abiding citizens will meet the full force of the law. 
That's the DA leader, John Steenhuisen, speaking about how the DA is planning to go to court to stop that national shutdown. The EFF has also released a statement saying that the DA is pulling an anti-democratic publicity stunt that is misguided and contains a false impression that the shutdown will be illegal and violent. Kevin, what else are they saying? Yes, Mandy, and the Democratic Alliance also continued saying that the police minister, they've approached the police minister as well as the minister of defense to ensure that those arms of state or that bodies of law enforcement come into play and are on full alert come Monday. And the, but the economic freedom fighters also responded with regards to um, the, D, the DA's announcement of this morning saying that it is anti-democratic, calling it a publicity stunt, saying it's frivolous. I had the opportunity to speak to Leanne Matei from the Economic Freedom Fighters earlier to get comments from the party with regards to John Stienhaven's announcement. And she says that the march will be taking place um, in a safe environment, that it will play out within the confines of the law, and also saying that the Democratic Alliance has in the past joined hands with the Economic Freedom Fighters, that they don't know why the party now finds fault with this national shutdown. Just listen to what Leanne told me. Mandy. When we had a joint march with them during the Zuma Matsfor, they never ever raised issues about looting, about violence, about anything like that. They were there, they were in the front leading with us. Now because they are not part of this march for whatever reason they've chosen, they're going around insinuating that there's going to be violence. And it's just propaganda. So that's the situation, the EFF releasing that statement on uh, the DA's decision to go to court to stop this. And uh, the EFF saying in their statement that it has noted the intended legal action by the DA, that it's anti-democratic, that it is a publicity stunt, saying that their baseless claims of intimidation and predicted violence is part and parcel of the DA's racist philosophical outlook, which depends strongly on the supposed irrationality of black people and the racist presumption that African African people have no capacity to express themselves in a peaceful manner. The DA saying it is going to court. Kevin Brunt, EWN reporter, thank you for that update. The Midday Report. It does seem that every week in South Africa it is the turn of a different uh, political party to begin uh, somewhat unravelling. It does seem to be the turn of Action SA this week with uh, lie detector tests and all sorts of developments. The Action SA Gauteng chairperson, Bongani Beloy, leaving the party this week, listing his reasons for leaving uh, and uh, saying that uh, Action SA is saying he wasn't happy to be moved to the position of national spokesperson. So I want to play you two bits of audio now. The one is Bongani Baloy speaking to Bongani Bingwa on 702 this morning and then Michael Beaumont, the chairman of Action SA speaking to Clement Maniatella on 702. Firstly, have a listen to what Bongani Baloy had to say. Absolutely. So he, so he wanted to remove me as provincial chairperson and appoint me as national spokesperson. And I said, for the same reasons that you're removing me as provincial chairperson, you can't appoint me as national spokesperson because the trust relationship has not improved according to you. And that position of national spokesperson works with you on a day-to-day basis. And at this stage, the party has a national spokesperson. And I don't, I think it's unfair to really be trading with people's positions whom have been appointed and given that responsibility okay. without at least engaging them. This issue of irreconcilable differences, many people will say that ultimately, isn't it about cooperation with the ANC? Now, you have been at pains to point out that the genesis of that thinking was with Mashaba himself.
So that is Bongani Boloy speaking to Bongani Bingo. Apologies for that sound disruption there. But have a listen to Michael Beaumont uh, speaking to Clement Maniatella earlier. Sure, actually, because being the national spokesperson of Action SA automatically comes with a seat at the table, this table of the Senate, which is our highest decision-making body. Who was already sitting the there, conven- right? Well, correct, but therefore it's not a demotion. Uh, as well as a seat at the Convention Council. These are the important decision-making bodies of our party. And any idea that because he's a critical voice, he was being moved out is fundamentally contradicted by what was being proposed, offering a more public platform and a continuation of his seat at these very important decision-making tables. If there's a breakdown in the relationship between the two leaders, why still keep him then in a position where he still has to work very closely with the same leader whom the relationship has broken down with? I think the point was the relationship had broken down in respect of his leadership of the Gauteng provincial structures. Mm. So, in other words, the trust breakdown doesn't take place in a broad and a general sense. These are not personality issues. This is a political party for which there must be professional working relationships. But the relationship had been defined along the lines of the president and the Gauteng provincial chairperson. And differences relating to how the Gauteng province was being run and managed had arisen that that trust relationship had been broken at that level between the president and the Gauteng provincial chairperson. There's never been a problem in terms of Bongani Beloy's charisma on, on radio and TV. I mean, you would have seen his performance at that press conference was compelling yesterday. But Michael, if you are moving someone because they're not doing what the party expected, then you don't mention a breakdown in a relationship as a reason why you are moving them to spokesperson. Then you talk about their competence. But in your statement, and to your acknowledgement, you are saying there was a breakdown of trust. That has got nothing to do with someone's competence. I- Michael Beaumont speaking to Clement Maniatella on 702 a bit earlier on today. So that's the uh, the situation there. The former Action SA Gauteng chairperson, Bongani Puloi, leaving Action SA. The Midday Report. Hi, Mandy. It's Mtunzi here. I just want to find out, does the law say specifically that when we vote... We have to use an X or any symbol to show our intention. It's acceptable. But or does it say specifically we have to use an X when we vote? I mean, I don't think there's such a law, but I'm still to be corrected. Thank you. Hi, Mandy. Um, in terms of the secrecy, as far as I understand, it is the right to have secrecy as opposed to it has to be kept secret if you look at all of the um, voting that, that happens the political parties representatives um, you know presidents etc make it fairly clear which party they're voting for after the elections they have interviews with them all kinds of things like that so in my mind it, if a person chooses to keep their vote secret then they they have that um, protection that they can However, if they choose to reveal who they voted for, that's also their choice. Thank you. Thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. So uh, the honest answer from me is I do not know the answer to that. So Lears Brink is saying that you have to show intention according to the law. And by making your mark, even if it is a number that shows intention, the IEC uh, found that to be a spoiled ballot. Um, I kind of feel like it's something that is assumed. I don't know. I think we need to speak to the IEC and to, to perhaps a legal expert on this to get clarity. Um, but I think that it is generally the assumption that you have to make an X and we all know that. Um, but the DA is saying, no, it has to be about intention. The Midday Report.
The Gauteng Community Safety is briefing the media on the Gauteng third quarter crime stats being released, giving us an indication of what the, the crime statistics were doing over that period. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, having a look at that. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. What is the, the what are the crime stats for the third quarter reflect in Gauteng? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, just uh, straight off the bat, um, all major crimes have sort of increased. So we're talking about rape, murder, hijacking, assault, um, and all other serious crimes. Um, they have um, increased. Um, this is, um, again, this is um, Police Commissioner General uh, Elias Mawele. So he's presenting these stats today at the Gold Reef City before the Gauteng legislature. Now, um, he did say that he was um, disappointed that um, crime has increased. However, he said it is very important to note that this is um, sort of the first uh, festive season. Now, this is the period between the 1st of October last year to the 31st of December. So he's saying that this is the first festive season in three years that we, we had without any sort of lockdown um, regulations due to the COVID pandemic, obviously. So there was sort of an ex- an, expect- an expectancy that the crime might sort of increase. So that, that's what he's saying, that it is, it is important to note that maybe um, comparing um, the statistics to this year to, na- to next year maybe doesn't make a sort of a, a very good comparison. Maybe a fair comparison would be comparing it to the pre-COVID time. And that's how we can get maybe a fair assessment. But however, you know, it, there is also another interesting thing, Maggie, that, you know, a large number of murders in, uh, in Houting uh, are usually uh, by guns. That's probably like more than 70% of people are murdered by guns. And secondly, it's by knives. So there is a serious issue that uh, General Mawela of uh, unregistered and illegal firearms in the city. And we do know that Johannesburg district is sort of the main uh, uh, criminal hub in the city in Gauteng, Mandy. And what has the commissioner said about plans to deal with this increase in crime? Well, I think it is, um, it's, it's very pertinent that um, we are, he's presenting these stats today before the Gauteng legislature, because while he was presenting these stats, you know, there is something that, you know, he's saying we are, you know, we don't have manpower, you know, we don't have resources, and we just don't have, you know, just sort of the capacity to sort of deal with these issues. We do know there was a, a big issue um, in Westbury with drugs, and uh, Amabere, so the South African Tactical Force, um, you know, was um, sort of deployed from wherever they were in the in the country to come to Westbury. So he's saying that, you know, we do sometimes have to rely on national deployments, where they, we need to have um, to create this capacity. And uh, the Harding legislature, which obviously has its, um, its palms on the money and the budget for the police, is the one that actually can actually supply the police with more capacity, more vans, and more resources to actually fight crime. To be so, thank you. To be so, Goba, EWN reporter, having a listen there to the Gauteng Police Commissioner releasing the crime stats for the third quarter, very much reflective of national stats at this point, telling us that crime and violent crime is getting worse. The Midday Report. In the courts today, the Joburg High Court hearing a constitutional challenge to the Judicial Service Act, which has been brought by retired judges Willie Sariti and Hendrik Musi. Remember, they headed up the Arms Deal Commission of Inquiry. Remember that one and how long it went after, uh, went on for and then the findings that it was not done properly. Well, now there is an appeal taking place, a constitutional challenge. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, is looking at that one first. Uh, Bernadette, uh, tell us exactly what judges, retired judges, Willie Sariti and Hendrik Musi wants here. 
Well, essentially, in terms of the JSD Act, it defines a judge um, for its purposes, obviously. And the way it defines a judge is to include retired judges, effectively. Um, but what they say is that this is unconstitutional and that this doesn't line up with the Constitution. And because they are retired, essentially, the, the JSD doesn't actually have jurisdiction over their conduct. Um, and in essence, you can understand that what they're saying by that is that um, this contained before the JSC really can't go anywhere um, because on their version, at least, like I say, the JSC doesn't have jurisdiction over retired judges. Um, they say that those provisions in the Act are unconstitutional and they want those um, reviewed and declared invalid, basically. Uh, how does this work? Are there respondents in the matter? Um, I assume perhaps the, the minister or, or is anybody contesting this? Um, yes, so the JSC is, itself is listed as um, the first respondent and they are opposing it. And then um, Open Secrets and Shadow World Investigations, which are the two organizations that have laid a complaint with the JSC against the judges, they are also opposing the application. So we have heard um, arguments from both of them today, basically saying that the JSC Act um, and its provisions can be read with the Constitution um, and that they don't contradict one another and that they line up just fine and that in essence this is really just an attempt on the part of the two judges to avoid accountability. That's the argument that's been put forward from the JSC and like I say, open secrets and shadow mm-hmm. of investigation. Bernadette, thank you. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, having a look at that challenge in the Joburg High Court today coming from the retired judges Willie Sariti and Hendrik Moisi. The Midday Report. Uh, hi, Mindy. Um, can the DA start uh, encouraging its potential voters for next year elections to put a numbering system in their box if they so believe in this uh, format of voting? Hi, Mandy. Uh, the DA. Yes, is doing uh, what it can to take care of its own members. But what about the the stance when they say no cater deployment? Because it's their caters that they are trying to make sure that they are in control of. And now, what about the ANC when it's trying to do its own control to its own members? Thank you. Many people are calling this out as hypocrisy, right? The fact that, for example, also when there was a, um, a vote of no confidence in Jacob Zuma, the DA was in favor of a secret ballot. Uh, and now they're saying, well, in the case of voting for a mayor or a speaker, it's impossible to have a secret ballot. Uh, we are hoping to speak to an electoral expert also to explain this issue of, is it valid to put a number on? I know that the, the DA, some people are suggesting that they uh, drew the, the confidence in this from looking at the Electoral Commission's valid ballots examples, which does show like if you put a number or you put a um, yes or a, a color in the box that shows intention that's the argument of the DA that it is all about intention the midday report the health minister today releasing findings by an investigation done by the health ombudsman into the Rahima Musa mother and child hospital in Joburg and really worrying indeed the findings there. Really just shocking the fact that they found uh, and we'll hear exactly what the findings are but mostly that it was dirty, that it was unhygienic. I have a listen to the health ombudsman, Professor Malakapuru Makhoba, speaking about how the investigation was done. Between uh, August uh, to November last year, we interviewed uh, 34 people. We provide, we produced a provisional report um, in December. 
we send it to all the people that are implicated as it's required by law. We ask them to respond uh, and they all responded. Uh, and then we looked at their responses against the ev evidence that we had gathered and uh, we had to then write the final report uh, taking that into consideration. And all their responses are captured in the report as they are so that we are all transparent, not necessarily naked, but transparent. The Health Ombudsman, Professor Malakapuru Makhoba, speaking about that investigation. EWN reporter Khomoto Mudise having a listen to the release of those findings. Khomoto, good afternoon to you. Uh, tell us about uh, the findings into Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, the main finding that uh, Professor Makhoba said came out of his engagement with the 34 people that they interviewed is that the hospital is unsafe. He says upon the interviews that they've done, there words that they kept hearing being used over and over again. I think the three main words were dirty, filthy, and unsafe. And, of course, he's pointed out how, you know, this is a great concern, particularly because um, the hospital had won the Kanisa Award for hospitals a few years before that. Um, and so, you know, he's made some findings with regards to the hospital. But I think what's really uh, interesting also and important is that he's made findings also against the hospital CEO, Dr. Mkabai. And that's because there had been a complaint that she'd only been to work 182 days since she was appointed from the 1st of January 2021. And so we heard today that upon their inquiry with HR, she'd missed or there were about 27 days that were unaccounted for in 2021 and um, uh, 72 days unaccounted for in 2022. These are days that she's missed and nobody knows why she hasn't been at the hospital for those days. As a result, because of that, and because she has failed to make sure that the hospital runs really as a facility that people in the community can use, it has been recommended that she be removed from her position and a disciplinary process be instituted against her. And so we heard from Mahoba around that. But I think another uh, cause for concern, Mandy, is that, you know, uh, the prof spoke about how Houting in particular has lowered the criteria of appointing CEOs. And he says that's only Houting. So other provinces have upheld their standards in the quality of the CEO that they appoint, but Houting in particular has lowered that. And he says in terms of selection committees, um, the province seems not to be listening to the selection, um, or the selection committee has not been considering competency reports as well as other reports that are pivotal in the appointment of CEO. As a result, the quality of CEO that's been appointed in housing hospitals is much lower than other provinces. And of course, as a province with the systems that are here and the resources, he says, you know, he doesn't understand why that's the case. So really, that, that hospital now is going to go through a process of being boosted in terms of infrastructure, as well as support, and a new CEO must then be appointed. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter, taking a, look, taking a look at the findings there from the Health Ombud when it comes to the Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital in Joburg. Really, what it tells us is that claims that so many people have made from expectant mothers about how they've had to sleep on the floor and how the treatment is shoddy, how it's dirty and filthy, all of that now being substantiated. The Midday Report.
The Water Affairs Minister, Senzo Mkunu, remember I told you yesterday he was meeting with mayors from the main metropoles in Gauteng. Not that Swani has a mayor, um, but with other mayors as well about the state of water services in Gauteng. He's been briefing the media. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, has been listening to that. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. The Water Affairs Minister has been speaking about water in Gauteng. What has he been saying? Good afternoon, Mandy. Uh, as you rightfully said, the minister met with several of those mayors from municipalities across the entire province yesterday. And in essence, what they were doing today is then delivering a technical report that's been compiled from some of those engagements across the municipalities. I think the most important thing is uh, the assurance by the minister that there is no water insecurity in Gauteng, even though there are a, a couple of issues here and there in, in, in a couple of municipalities. Um, there is a deficit, a short deficit uh, of about 9% in terms of what Rand water is able to supply compared to the demand by residents across the country. But uh, he, he's assured that, that in no uh, at no point does that put Gauteng in any danger of insecurity. And he's mentioned a couple of uh, issues that are faced by the province, and that includes um, load shedding impacting the ability of Rand water to pre- purify the water and supply the water directly to the taps, as well as unplanned human settlements. And he says this is a very big issue. The fact that you're able to overnight find uh, residences scattered across the country that were unplanned for by the various departments remains one of the major issues because then there is a shortage of water that's been able to supply to these settlements that, uh, you know, these overnight settlements that pop up almost everywhere across the country. And Mm -hmm. so then we're stuck with an issue of um, illegal water consumption. And that shoots up the the bill uh, on the side of the water boards as well as government. But there are some uh, interventions, Mandy, that are in place, both short-term as well as long-term. One of the short-term interventions that the department has in place is that Rand Water has commissioned uh, an additional capacity of about 210 megalitres of water per day through a reservoir that's been built, uh, the reservoir rather, in Flatfontaine, and that's going to assist Ekoruleni as well as Twining. And then in terms of the long-term uh, interventions in place, there's an investment of about 28 billion rand uh, by Rand Water that's going to assist in constructing uh, additional storage mm. reservoirs in parts of, of the, the province to assist with that. Nokokanya, thank you very much. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, having a listen there to the Water Affairs Minister, Senzo Mkunu. The Midday Report. You asked me a question, and now I'm going to give you an answer. The question was. For a vote on a ballot to be legal and legitimate, does it have to have an X or can it just show intention? Now, the DA is showing it, saying it just has to show intention. And they are uh, making reference to the Electoral Commission valid ballots example, which is being distributed. It's like this, this little graph, which shows that it can have a colored in block. It can have a yes. It can have a number because the the DA councillors in Twani in the early hours of this morning voted with numbers and their ballots were disqualified. Terry Talani, Institute of Election Management Services Executive Chairman, joining us to explain this. Terry, good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us at very short notice. We've just phoned you up, so thank you. Do we have to put an X on a ballot sheet for it to be legal? Not necessarily. Um, uh, as you correctly pointed out, that... Uh, a voter must actually be able to indicate their preference in a ballot. And then that preference normally is either through a tick 
or through an ex. And that's what is always emphasized. Now, the issue at hand here appears to be a situation where a political party has basically created a mechanism through which a, a voter's identity can be uh, can be made. In other words, you give a voter uh, numbers, and it can be able to you can be able to detect using those numbers which how a particular voter has actually voted. Now, if you look at two provisions within the law, firstly the Electoral Act, Section uh, 47. Uh, as well as uh, Section uh, 61, uh, Subsection A, um, it basically prohibits a, 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 a ballot that indicates the identity of a voter. So any uh, such uh, a ballot, uh, according to uh, the provisions that I've just mm. uh, mentioned, uh, stands to be rejected so, by the presiding officer. So, 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 Terry, in other words, if, if all of the DA councillors had have put a six, it would have been fine? Yeah, if perhaps there was just one number um, or whatever, whatever uh, you know, Mike is there. But it would also be strange because it is not normally how voters uh, cast uh, their, uh, their, their votes in all the papers uh, and air the ballots all the time, what is emphasized is either put an X or a tick. So that new innovation um, would also still be very strange, even though there would not be something, it would not be something that is illegal as such, if there is consistency and then there is no way that you can detect how a voter has actually voted. Terry, thank you so much for explaining that to us at short notice. Uh, Terry Tilani, Institute of Election Management Services Executive Chairman, coming on because we were asked the question in a WhatsApp voice note in response to Celia's Brink saying, is it legal? Can you, do you have to vote to the next or can you vote to the number? The issue here is not just about the number. It's the fact that by giving each councillor a number from 1 to 69, they're effectively creating this mechanism that identifies them. And that seems to be the problem. The Midday Report. In Parliament, National Treasury is briefing the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, SCOPA, on the SOE, the uh, the parastatal bailouts. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, is following that one. So, so Lindsay, the, the purpose of this briefing by Treasury was for SCOPA to get a full picture of exactly how much money government is standing surety for and just how effective the bailouts to the SOEs have been over the last 10 years and, and, and more. So what have the MPs been saying about the billions that government has doled out to these SOEs over the last 10 years? Well, good afternoon, Mandy. Well, that's over 350 um, billion rand just in the last 10 years alone that have gone to SOEs. And by Treasury's own admission, it's not had the desired effect. We don't see the kind of improvement in SOEs. In actual fact, they seem to be regressing. Uh, and uh, Treasury is saying this is largely because they've been trying to fund turnaround plans without putting any conditions in place uh, for giving out the money. And uh, Mandy, they are promising that the 250-odd billion rand that uh, ESCOM has been allocated over the next three years won't just be doled out to them hand over fist. There will be strict conditions, including that ESCOM is no longer allowed to borrow any money, at least for the next three years. 
uh, and that they will have to conduct this international uh, assessment will have to be conducted in terms of its operations uh, because, as I say, they're just not um, reaping the benefits from Treasury saying it's quite evident that all the money that they're giving to ESCOM over the last uh, 10 years um, has just not been worth its while. ESCOM, of course, as you say, has received the lion's share of, of the bailouts and the guarantees over the years. And, and I imagine that that's where all the concerns are coming from. Indeed, Mandy, but also concerns about uh, the post office, as you know, struggling and is uh, barely not a, uh, a solvent uh, business. Uh, Treasury saying this is because they're failing to move with the times and amend their business and their operation models. Also concerns, Mandy, raised about FAA, about that billion rand bailout we heard in the February budget speech, what exactly that is going uh, to go towards and whether that is really the end of the line and cutting off uh, further money to FAA. Uh, so th- this is the kind of picture that Scopa says it wants uh, uh, in its mind uh, to work out where exactly it's all going wrong uh, and to keep a closer watch really on the impact, if any, these uh, bailouts are having um, when they are allocated to, uh, which are mostly struggling uh, state-owned enterprises. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, having a look at National Treasury's briefing to Scopa. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.